If you would grab a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, where we'll be centering our time of study this morning. Luke chapter 10. Good to see you this morning. We have a number of visitors with us. We're so thankful that you're here, especially numbers seem to be traveling and visiting in different ways. And we're thankful that you've chosen this time to come and to worship God with us. Spring break has broken, and we're done with that. So everybody, the young people are all ready to get back to school, or at least they're going to get back to school, whether they're ready or not. Uh, so we kind of have a, more of our people back, but it's good to have uh, everyone here this morning. Looking forward to this opportunity for us to open God's Word. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. The text says, Luke 10, 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So we have two sisters, and both of them are interested in Jesus and his teaching. They invite him into their home, and Mary sits and listens to Jesus, while Martha, it says, is distracted with much serving. Jesus tells her, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But Martha, in spite of that, is critical of Mary. She wants Mary to come help her, and she complains to Jesus about that. And I believe that we relate to Martha. I believe that we all have this feeling from time to time of just buzzing around from task to task. We have a million things to do, or as we say in our parlance today, we are all crazy busy. And so, if this picture is not going to stress you out too much, our lives look a little bit like this, except I don't think I would put feed the fish on the calendar. But our lives look as though we're, we're twisted in a million directions. We have a million things to do. And like Mary and Martha, or specifically like Martha, we end up being anxious and troubled about all the many things that we have to do. And what's particularly frustrating about that is that, like Martha, the things that occupy us are very often not bad things. They're things that are good. Like Martha, who is busy with much serving, so we're busy with a lot of things that are good things. And yet we find ourselves, like Martha, missing out on the things that are most important, particularly missing out on what we would really love to be doing most, connecting with God through Jesus, listening to the teaching of Jesus. And so when we feel, though, that we have this desire for deeper, better things, we find that we just don't have the energy to do it. We don't know when we could do it. Or perhaps we get to the end of the day and we just feel like relaxing. We just feel like, I'm not sure I could do that right now. And so this opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus that we have just kind of gets squeezed out the way it does for Martha. I want to talk to us for a few minutes about being crazy busy. Because what I believe we can see from a text like this is how we can still find the time and find ways to connect with God, even though we have a lot going on. And so we're going to think about how Martha and Mary show us that. First, I just want to spend a little time getting familiar with this text, and then you'll see how it's going to help us. Look with me in verse 38. Luke 10 and verse 38 says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed, her into her welcomed him into her house. Martha, it says specifically, welcomes Jesus into the house as opposed to Mary. And I believe what we're intended to take from that is that the focus of the story is going to be Martha. Martha is the subject. 
And Mary is just also there. And so in verse 39, it says, She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Sitting at the Lord's feet, sitting at the feet of someone is a word picture for discipleship. It is used when Paul says he sat at the feet or was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. It is the idea that someone is a devoted follower or listener. And as she sits at his feet and listens to his teaching, one scholar remarked that this would have been startling to a Jew, a male Jew in this time, for a woman to leave behind the traditional womanly role of serving and instead be learning as if she is going to be a disciple too. But of course, Jesus supports Mary in that over Martha. In verse 40 then it says, But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So Martha is not listening to Jesus' teaching. Instead, Martha is busy with much serving. And just imagine if Jesus comes, and it's probably not just Jesus. It's probably Jesus and his entourage, which is going to be a group of people. And here they are, they're invading this house, and they need to be served. They probably need, say, some napkins, maybe a place to stay, asleep. Okay, they are people to whom Mary and Martha are showing hospitality which is a divine priority, as we talked about a few weeks ago. And so they are doing something good for these people, and Martha is busy at this. She is distracted, it says, with much serving. She is so busy that she can't hear Jesus. And instead, what she sees is her sister doing nothing. And that makes Martha upset. So Martha goes to Jesus. I want you to notice the tone of her comment in verse 40. Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to serve alone. See, she thinks she's right. I'm serving and Mary's doing nothing. Don't you care? Don't you see how unfair that is? And then as if she knows Jesus is going to just jump right on board with her, tell her then to help me. Why don't you just get involved and boss her around? She'll listen to you. She's not listening to me. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So instead, Jesus rebuffs Martha and criticizes Martha instead of Mary. She wasn't expecting that. And he says, Mary has chosen the one thing that's necessary, and it will not be taken from her. He is saying, I'm not going to tell her to stop listening. But he's also saying maybe something even stronger. Nobody's going to take this away from her. If she's going to choose this, it will not be taken from her. So, what can we learn from this little story that will help us survive being crazy busy? First of all, I think we can learn here that we need to do the most important thing first. The most important thing first. Mary is doing the most important thing. Look again at verse 41. In verse 41, But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. So, many things versus one thing. Martha's got a lot on her plate and a lot on her schedule. Mary has one thing on her plate, one thing on her schedule. And her choice is to do the most important thing. Jesus says... You can be so busy, Martha, with so many things that you miss the one good thing. And when you've done that, you have made a foolish choice. So, how do we change this? 
we have to make the Mary choice. We have to choose to do the most important thing first. The way the Bible communicates this idea of what's most important is very often by using that word first. And I think sometimes we misunderstand this. I think sometimes that we need to understand the word first for what it would naturally mean in our speech. Let me give you an example, and I'll show you how we get kind of twisted up about that, and then I'll show you what I mean. This is Matthew 6 and verse 33. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In the context of all these things, it's talking about the necessities of life. But But when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, we don't take him literally to be saying, before you can look at anything else in your life, you must seek the kingdom first, first thing in the morning. Instead, we take that as a priority statement. Seek it first. Make it the most important thing. And I think we're right about that. But sometimes there are places in the Bible where first means first. I want you to go back a page with me to Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9... Luke 9 and verse 59, it says, Luke 9, 59, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Did you notice how the excuses that these people make have to do with first. I want to follow you, Jesus, but let me first do this. And what they are talking about when they say first is they mean before I do this, I have something else I want to do. I have something else I need to take care of. And so one of them says, I need to go bury my father first. The other one says, I need to go say goodbye to my family first. And both times Jesus balks at that. He says, that's not the way this is going to work. You're not going to do something else first and then follow me later. That's not the way the kingdom works. And what he is getting at, please listen to me. This is what I'm trying to communicate. Is that what is most important must be treated as most urgent. If it's important, it must be urgent. If it's important to do, we must do it now. What is important must be urgent. That is what the word first means when it is used this way in the New Testament. So let me give you another example. This is Matthew 5 and verse 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, talking about worship in the temple, you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now what is he saying? He is saying this needs to be done now, not later, but now. Do it first. But when he's saying that, he is saying it is a priority even over worship. It needs to be done before you worship. Because what is most important must become most urgent. So Jesus says the way you show that urgency is to do it now, not later. So what Mary shows us is that if we don't put the most important thing first, then many things will begin to fill the vacuum. And many things will replace the one necessary thing, the most important thing. And we will end up, have this ever happened to you? At the end of a day that was full of activity where you haven't done the most important thing. That is what Martha shows us. That when we wait to take care of everything else first, 
then what is most important has actually shown up as not really that much of a priority. We have that sense, by the way, of the word first, too. Sometimes we'll say this. Does it, does it make a difference what the first thing you do when you get home from work is? Doesn't it say something about you? What's the very first thing you do? Or the very first thing you say when you see somebody you haven't seen in a while? Doesn't that say something about the relationship? Doesn't it say something, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? I understand that there might be some, some trivial things that go along with that, but what we're saying when we say that is, we typically do first what matters most. And if someone or some situation says this should matter more, then we're a little offended if you don't do it first. Like if you weren't to greet your wife after having, not having seen her for a few days. So first means this is a priority, and I'm going to treat it as a priority in terms of urgency. I remember reading several years ago a time management book that, that asked the question, what is the one thing that you must do every day? And as I thought about that question, I, I, I thought through all the different things I do. I, uh, you can always tell my mood during the week. If you see me on Thursday or Friday, if I'm happy, it means I already got my sermon done. If I am looking a little stressed, okay, it means that the sermon's not yet done. If I look like a basket case, it means I had to start over. Okay? But as I thought about that question, what's the most important thing you must do? The answer was not, I have to write a sermon. I have to do my sermon first. And it was not classes or lunches or visits. And it wasn't all the writing that I need to do, all those different things that I have in my day. The one thing for me that must happen is I must connect with God. I must do it. That is the most important thing. And everything else in my day will be fine if I do that. And anything else that I don't get done, yeah, I might be a little fussy. But anything else I can handle. And so what that has meant for me is I need to have time where it's about personal study. That's not about what I'm preaching on Sunday. And it's not about something that somebody asked me. It's about me and God. And it also has to involve prayer. And I've come to a point where now it needs to involve some meditation. But for me, that is what must happen for me. And so for me, I must do that first. That's got to be the first thing, because if it's not the first thing, I might not find a time for it. But if it's first, guess what? I always do it, because I always do something first. So do the most important thing first. Sit at Jesus' feet first. Second, I think we learned from this story that we can say yes by saying no. We're going to have to carve some time out of all the things that we have to do if we're going to make a priority out of sitting at the Lord's feet. We don't hear from Mary in this story. I really wonder what Mary would say in defense of her behavior. But instead, all we hear is sort of Martha's characterization of Mary. Look at verse 40 of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 and verse 40, it says, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So we don't hear from Mary, but we hear Martha. She has her opinions about what Mary has done, and particularly about what Mary has not done. She has left me. She's not helping. She's not serving at all. There's so much to be done. People need help, and she's doing nothing. But Mary is not doing nothing. What she is doing is she has said no to something so that she can say yes to something else. 
She has said no to serving so that she can say yes to Jesus. And what's really challenging about that is that serving is a good thing too. And that there are sometimes good things we're going to have to say no to so that we can say yes to the best things, to the most important things. That's what Mary does here. I want to show you this again in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, where, where Mary, this is the same Mary, has a very similar criticism levied against her because of a choice she makes. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. John 12 and verse 1 says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now we have the same Mary here. And Mary makes another decision... To not do something good, to not do something important, so that she could do something very good and very important. And the, the thing that I'm talking about is the idea that she is criticized because she does not give this to the poor. Verse 5 says that. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And so Judas has another plan for it. Of course, that's about Judas and his corrupt heart. But Mary didn't know all of that. Mary just heard criticism. Criticism, you're making a bad choice. But what resolves this little conflict for me is what Jesus says in verse 7. I just love this. Jesus rushes to her defense and says, leave her alone. In Mark's account, he says, she has done a beautiful thing for me. And I love Jesus saying that because what that means is Jesus is saying, she made the right choice here and you are wrong about it. I wonder if Mary felt guilty for what she had done. Do you ever have that happen to you? Where you make a choice as best you can to do the right things with your time and energy. And then you realize there's something you didn't get done. Some need you didn't meet. Or someone saying, well, why'd you do that? Why didn't you do this? And you feel guilty because you want to do it all. It's important that we see in Mary that part of making wise choices about our time is learning that there are things we're going to have to say no to so that we can say yes to other things. So it's at this point that we have to ask, what exactly are we doing with all our time? Where is it all going? I think sometimes we, we say things like this. We say, I'm just crazy busy. I've just got so much going on. I don't think that we think that through. What, what is it that is eating up all of our time? Is it work? And if it's work, do we need firmer boundaries about our work where we can say this is not going to happen anymore? I need to restructure something or pass something off because this is just too much for me? Is it having to do with family commitments or things that our kids are doing? If so, are we overcommitted where there's too much that we've agreed to that's all good, nothing wrong with any of it, but it's eating up everything we're doing? Is that really the best use of what we have? Or are we just getting so busy and never asking the question, why am I so busy? 
I particularly want to draw our attention to the use of uh, electronic media. Because I believe that we, as a culture, waste huge amounts of time on our phones and on our tablets, playing games and checking media, doing all those things that are not harmful or wrong in themselves, but we look up several hours later and we don't know what happened. Our time is just going into the vacuum and we don't see it. In fact, I have found tremendous value in just limiting some of the things that I do on my electronic media. And when I do, I'm saying no to something so I can say yes to something else. So that I can be more present with my family. So that I can have more time to do personal study. There are things that we're going to have to give up if we want to do better about being too busy. And like Mary, we don't have to feel guilty about that. We don't have to say, oh no, I did the wrong thing here and there are some things that I didn't get done. Like Mary, we can say, I'm saying yes to something good by saying no to something else. I'll just add this before we leave this point. Sometimes we are in phases of our lives where we're going to have to say no to things that in another phase in our life we would be perfectly capable of doing. I remember having young children. When I had very young children, um, it was all we could do to get out the door. Okay? It was all we could do. And so there were things that we would have loved to do. Cooking and taking food to people. We would have loved to do that. But, but it was, we were in a time in our life where that just wasn't possible. And sometimes there are times in our lives where, where there are financial drains and we're not going to be able to give to help people. And we have to be able to say, you know what? It's not that this is a bad thing, but I have to say no to this so that I can say yes to the most pressing thing that I've got going on right now. We need to be able to handle those priorities in the right way. Let's go back to Luke 10. The third thing I see in this story is involve God in your decisions. Luke 10 and verse 40. Luke 10 and verse 40 says, Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Major issue for Martha is that Martha assumes Jesus will agree with her. She assumes that because she believes that serving is the most important part of this day, Jesus is going to agree. And then because she assumes that, she says, so go ahead and tell her to help me. But Jesus doesn't agree. Jesus sees the world and this situation very differently from Martha. And he says, no, you're wrong about this. And Mary is right. Mary is on Jesus' page. Martha isn't on Jesus' page. Let me caution you to something. I wrote the words, involve God in decisions on the board. And I think that when we read those words, sometimes... Sometimes we just check out and we say, oh, yeah, definitely. Totally, we should, we should involve God in our decisions. Yeah, great idea, great point, amen. I do not mean when I say involve God in our decisions that we need to make all the decisions we want and then pray and, and pray that God will help them work out. That's not involving God in decisions. That's asking for God's rubber stamp on my ideas. When I say involve God in decisions, I mean we have to ask the question, is and what is what I am doing really God's will? Are we on the same page here? That's a different kind of question. Martha is doing good things that you could even prove biblically were good, and yet she is wrong in this situation. She had not involved God in determining what was best in this situation. And that assumption is the most dangerous part of this process. So... I want you to go and meet Ephesians chapter 5 for a moment. Ephesians chapter 5. 
Ephesians 5 and verse 15 says, Ephesians 5, 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I want you to notice how those things all work together. You have the idea of wisdom. Walk in wisdom. You have the idea of making the best use of the time or redeeming the time. You have the idea of understanding what the will of the Lord is. The idea is we are trying to discern what's pleasing to the Lord, he says back in verse 10. The idea is God has a will for our lives. And our job is to use our time in the best way we can, trying to understand what God's will is and walking wisely as we do that. So, why is it that we are so certain that what God wants from us is that we be so busy that we can't think straight? Where did we get that idea? That somehow this is God's will. And that God's job is to sort of rubber stamp whatever new plan we have so that we can add more stuff into an already crowded schedule. Involving God in decisions is going to mean that we look at God's priorities and not just our priorities. And think about what is God wanting from us instead of just what are we wanting from life. So let me give you a little guidance on that. God's priority is that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy, 4, 1 Timothy 2, 4 and 5. God's will is that we live lives of holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3. That we be lights around us. The lights of the people around us in our families and in our communities. Matthew 5, verse 16. God's will is that we pursue a relationship with him through Jesus and the Holy Spirit that is vibrant and alive and leads us bearing fruit. John chapter 15. That is God's will. God's will is that I grow in wisdom and character to be more like Jesus. That's God's will. God's will is not simply that I can find another little space to jam in more stuff. But I want to say that's not just helpful in major decisions where we decide, you know, am I going to move somewhere? Am I going to change jobs or something like that? Those are also everyday priorities. So that what I do every day like Martha is determined then by what God expects of me. So, the question that should dominate the use of our time. What divine priority am I pursuing with this activity? If I do this, how is it getting me closer to God and what God wants for me? Now, I understand there are going to be times where, where we have activities that fall short of that. Rest is a part of God's will for us, too. But it is a question that we need to be thinking about. Because when Martha missed that question, she missed Jesus. What divine priority am I pursuing with this activity? Involve God in your decisions. Let's go back to Luke chapter 10. I want to show you the final thing that we want to say here. Luke chapter 10. And the final thing is, we need to delight in the word. Delight in the word. Luke chapter 10 and verse 39. Luke 10, 39. And she had a teacher called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And then verse 42, Jesus responds, One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen the good portion to listen to Jesus' teaching. I thought a lot this week about why this little story is in the Bible. 
Have you ever thought about that? Such an odd little story. This is a little story about two sisters who get mad at each other. I don't believe that the point of this story is so we can learn time management. I believe that the point of this story is so that we can see how Mary is an example to us. Because Mary has such respect for the word and teaching of Jesus that she drops everything to listen. There is a heavy emphasis, especially in the Gospel of Luke, on the power of the word of Jesus. It is the word that has authority, that drives out demons. It is the word that Peter says, at your word I will let down the nets. It is the word that the centurion says, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it, Jesus says. Over and over again we see the word, the word, the word. And Mary, Mary is like that. She has a respect and a love for the word of Jesus, so she leaves the serving to make him the priority. There has to be a point where we are no longer forcing ourselves to listen to Jesus and to read the Bible and to focus on spiritual things. There must be a point where we delight in the word, where it's something we want. Because I believe we all know that if we just try to force ourselves to do something like this, and we just grit our teeth and say, you know, I can't stand the Bible, but I'm going to try. But that's going to wear out. That's not going to be a long-term solution. And the time will come where we just get a little too busy or we miss it, and then we just kind of drop it. The goal is to be like Mary, to delight in the Word, to be anxious to hear what Jesus has to say. This is Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The delight is in the law of the Lord. Not in hearing from the wicked and the sinner and the scoffer, but to delight in the law and to meditate day and night. That's not something anyone is forcing him to do. He wants to do it. He delights in it. He loves it. The question is, how do we get there? How do we get to delight? I can really only answer that question for myself. So I'll do the best that I can. I believe that we get to delight in the word by seeing the difference it makes in our lives and by seeing the good it brings and the refreshment it gives. The word of God is an amazing thing. It speaks to the mystical what's beyond our experience, and it speaks to the mundane, what is our everyday experience. It speaks to the intellectual part of me, and it speaks to the emotional part of me, and it speaks to the practical part of me. It talks to all of that, sometimes all at the same time. But I love the Word of God for this reason most of all. I love the Word of God because it calibrates me. What I mean by that is sometimes I get out of whack. Sometimes my thinking's not where it should be. Sometimes I get attached to things I shouldn't be attached to. I get excited about things that don't really matter. I get my heart wrapped up in things that, that just aren't going anywhere. And I know instinctively that my life is about more than whether my team wins or what's on social media or what movies just came out. Like, we know that, but when we read the Word of God, we remember this is what really matters. 
This is what life's really about. This is the stuff of life. And I need that. Because until I hear from God, I forget it. And I need God to speak to me. But I have to say that the Word of God is different. It's not as flashy as a lot of the things in our world. It moves at a bit of a slower pace. It is deeper and slower and stronger than the things that pass for communication in our world. And so it's going to take some work for us to train our minds to think in a different way. Reading the Bible is not like reading someone's social media feed. Reading the Bible is not like reading a blog post. Reading the Bible is going to take time and effort to chew on, to appreciate it. But there is nothing like the sheer pleasure of uncovering the meaning of God's word and seeing that God is speaking to me. There's nothing like it. I delight in it. And it concerns me a bit to see Christians who are excited by internet games and sports and hobbies and politics and conversations but seem to have no interest in hearing from God. It concerns me to see people that when the Bible comes up, they yawn. Who would much rather talk about their own thoughts and feelings than God's thoughts and feelings. It concerns me because it says we're not delighting in God's word. In fact, it makes me wonder if we're, are we thinking about God at all? We have to work to delight in the word, to see the beauty and wonder that is there. Mary knew it. And we need to know it too. We need to see our hunger that we all have deep within us for something lasting, for something encouraging, for something that can change us, for something that will show us as we really are. To see our forgiveness in all its liberating glory because we've seen our sin and all its ugliness. Only in the Word of God. I think we relate to Martha. At least I know I do. Because Martha is distracted and anxious and troubled. And I think we can relate to that. But I believe that God's Word helps us here so that we can moderate against all the things that we have going on. If we can do the most important thing first, if we can say yes by saying no to some things, involve God in our decisions, and delight in the Word. Would you pray with me about that? Jehovah, our God and Father, we thank you so much. You have been so good to us. You've taken us out of our sins with the tremendous sacrifice of your Son. You've loved us when we were unlovable. You've made us your children. You've given us an inheritance and a hope. You've given us joy where we had no joy before. And Father, we've gathered together to praise you and to thank you and to open your word to show you reverence as your children. Father, we need your help as we try to figure out how to live in this world. Sometimes, Father, we, we need to recalibrate our priorities. We need to remember what really matters in our lives. And Father, I pray that you'll help us as we try to put you first. I pray that you'll help us to learn from Mary the power of sitting at the, the Lord's feet. 
And Father, I pray that you'll help us to cultivate a delight in your word so that over time we can grow, we can become stronger, and we can meditate on your word day and night. Father, we thank you so much that you have patience with us and love for us, but we need your help. And we ask that you'll be with us as a congregation and as individuals as we try to make the best choices we can to redeem the time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There might be someone here this morning who needs to obey the gospel. We like to have this part of our service, an invitation, where we're going to sing a song and invite you, if you need to make a change in your life, to as we're singing, just walk up to the front and let us know what kind of change that you're thinking of. If you're ready to become a Christian for the first time and you come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you need to turn away from your sins and to come and be buried with him in baptism. Have those sins washed away. If there is any need that we can help you with, we invite you to come to the front right now as we stand and sing.